Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 124, From Whom Do You Receive Your Wages? So we're going to see from here on out that the lives of the Nephites are now forever altered because of priestcraft. Is that too bold to say? Looking here, just kind of thumbing through the book of Alma, we're going to read about the magnificent preachings of Alma and the various levels of acceptance that the people had regarding his messages. In fact, some aren't going to receive them very well at all. And then we're going to read about the sons of Mosiah and their missionary work among the Lamanites and the power that conversion had upon their hearts. But we're also going to cover the war chapters of the Book of Mormon. And it's going to show us a drastic contrast to the Nephites' way of life. Now, I've never put it together in my mind before, like a timeline, if you will, of all of these events and how close they're happening together. But all of this is going to take place in roughly 25 years, 25 to 30 years. Before Nehor rose to power, the Nephites, the people of Zarahemla, those that stayed in Zarahemla, they had had at least 33 years of peace in their land. Yes, some inner turmoil, but there was always peace that came about. It may have even been longer, really, but the last I could see, as far as bloodshed goes, the last was when King Benjamin was king. And there had been contentions between the people, and a Lamanite army did come up to battle against them, but the Nephites were successful in driving out the Lamanites from their lands. And it appears to me, when reading in the words of Mormon, that it did take some effort, that King Benjamin labored it says, with all the might of his body and the faculty of his whole soul. <laughs> Sounds exhausting. But peace was established in the land, and they were blessed with many holy men that did speak the word of God with power and with authority. And since that time, they had been blessed with good kings and holy men to help organize the church. Then it's Phenomenal to me, within the first year of liberty being given to the people and them casting their voices to choose judges to govern them, they were presented with a significant choice, or some could say a temptation, the temptation of Nehor and what he represented. I ask you, how important do you believe liberty to be in your life? The voice of the people chose wisely. They chose Alma to be their chief judge. However, when Nehor went among them, many followed. Many were willing to give up that liberty that they had just been given. And I don't know what many means, but their liberty allowed different beliefs to rise up, and it appears that many were easily swayed. I don't know why. Mormon doesn't tell us precisely Well, I guess that's wrong, because he does say that there were many who loved the vain things of the world, 
And they did go forth after Nehor was dead, preaching false doctrines for the sake of riches and honor. Riches and honor, fine things and the praise and glory of men is what many traded truth for. Many were willing to give up their liberty for. And whether we recognize it or not, when we fall for lies and deception, we're forsaking liberty. And how can I say that? When we fall for lies and deception, when we misuse our liberty or we get lazy with it, we invite the ailments of bondage to creep in. We invite false teachers. We elevate our pride. We replace God with idols of riches and fine things and costly apparel. We chase after the honor and accolades of men the praise of the world, and we seek to be elevated above one another. These ailments rose up their ugly head when Nehor preached his priestcraft, and they did not go away with his death. They not only continued, but they ignited a bolder man to pick up Nehor's torch and carry on. And for the next few decades, the Nephites will fight battle after battle, trying to tame the fire that that torch created. Misused liberty brings out condemnation and the risk of bondage, first spiritual and then eventually physical. Boy, oh boy. (laughs) Welcome to the Sister Scriptorian podcast. (laughs) That sounds all doom and gloom. Well, we're entering those years where I believe the only difference between us and them is that we have the luxury of looking back on their mistakes through a seer who is able to condense their history down for us with the intent of teaching and warning us. But we're really not that different because they had been given that chance with the the translation of the Jaredite record, hadn't they? We face today the same ailments and condemnations that they did. And we, because of the miracle of the Book of Mormon, have a chance to do something about it. If we choose to liken the Book of Mormon to ourselves and see us within its pages, we might not be able to change the world we live in, but we can make sure we are on the Lord's side and that we don't go over the cliff with the rest of society. So what happened in Alma chapter 2 that has me all riled up? In the fifth year of their liberty, or in other words, the reign of judges whom the people chose, a man rose up named Amilisai, and he was very cunning, wise to the wisdom of the world, and he was after the order of Nehor. And he was influential enough to draw away many people after him, bringing power to him, so much so that they thought they had a chance a chance to make Amilisai their king. That's right, to make him king to rule over all of them. Morbin records that this was alarming to those belonging to the church and to those who didn't belong to the church. So they were united in this concern of theirs. And they were united in their desire to not have a king. So they used their system And it appears that the people who weren't following after Amilisai united together on this issue because they knew he was a wicked man. 
and that he would deprive them of their rights and privileges of the church. Because again, just like Nehor, his intent was to destroy the church. Isn't this interesting? The people now are assembling themselves together and they're casting their voices on whether they should have a king. And I wonder what this was like for Alma, being both chief judge and high priest. What alarm bells were going off for him. Fortunately, the voice of the people came out against Amilisai being made king. But of course, that didn't end his campaign. He pressed on, stirring up those who were in his favor to become angry towards those that weren't. And his followers made him king. And he commanded them to take up arms against their brethren to force the rest of the Nephites to be his subjects. Can you believe the effects of unchecked pride, lust for riches, obsession with status and rankings, and then open rebellion against the word of God? These are not innocent or isolated transgressions. And can you believe how quickly, how quickly a society can be altered by these poisons? The Nephites now, they're having a civil war. A coup is coming upon them, brother against brother, and trying to force dominion over the other, literally attempting to take away the liberty of the people and force them to be ruled over. So what is to be done? The Nephites prepare for battle, and Alma goes to battle with his people, and they face the Amilicites because that's what they're now calling themselves. They have separated from the Nephites, they have made Amilisai their king, and they are now calling themselves Amilicites. And the Amilicites are strong, and they slay many Nephites. However, they also suffer many casualties. And the miracle that we have, the fulfillment of God's words, the proof that his word will be verified, is that he was with the people who had not forsaken him. He was with them in the time of their troubles, and he strengthened the hand of the Nephites. So the Nephites met and exceeded the strength of the Milicites. And where 6,562 Nephites were killed, 12,532 Milicites were slain, just short of 20,000 souls who lost their lives during this battle. That night, they pitched their tents in the valley of Gideon. So ironic, isn't it? The Nephites finding rest in a place named after the first martyr of this insurrection. And Alma sent out spies to gain some strategy over the Amilicites. And when the spies returned the next day, they were afraid because now joining the Amilicites were the Lamanite armies. And their numbers were described as being as numerous as the sands of the sea. Uh, to me, that sounds terrifying. It must have been a terrifying sight to see. But worse was the knowledge and information that these armies were falling upon their people, their women and their children. And they were making their way to Sarah Hemla to take possession. 
So the Nephite army packed up and they pursued the invaders, praying mightily to the Lord that he would deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. And the Lord heard their prayers and he strengthened them. So number one, when we remain obedient to the Lord, he will remember us and he will visit us in our times of trouble and he will strengthen us. And our second lesson, when we cry mightily unto him to be delivered, he will strengthen us. Yeah, I wish sometimes that it meant that he would transport us out of the danger <laughs> or out from the harm or just take it away altogether, remove us and, and then do the work of facing the enemy. <laughs> but that isn't what he does, is it? It's at least not what he does here. He instead, he strengthened his people who remembered him so that they could go face their enemy so that they could go do that work, but be, pre- but be prepared and strengthened. And though Amilisai was cunning and strong, the Lord is more than that. It so happened, and I'm not a war expert, so I'm not really sure how all this goes down, but it so happened that Alma fought face to face with Amilisai. And I moved I very much appreciate the example and faith of Alma in this moment. We aren't sure of Alma's stature. Mormon never described him. But he is now going up against everything that is opposite of what he represents. And I want you just to think about that for a second. And in this moment, who does he rely on? Whose strength does he find assurance in? He had the clarity of mind to find strength in the Lord's strength. To rely upon the Lord. And Alma cries unto the Lord saying, O Lord, have mercy and spare my life, that I may be an instrument in thy hands to save and preserve this people. Alma desired to serve God by saving and preserving the Nephites. And while contending with Amilisai, Alma is strengthened and he slays his opponent. So number three, we learn that when our desires are pure and presented with humility, and remember, the Lord really appreciates those who desire to save and preserve righteousness. And when they match up with the Lord's purposes for his children, he can strengthen us to accomplish his work. Now, I imagine everything at this point is in chaos, don't you? But Alma, after slaying Amilicide, then goes after the Lamanite king, but the king flees. And so Alma and his guards are left contending with the king's guards instead. Anyways, the Lamanites and the remainder of the Amilicites are driven back. So we talk about almost 20,000 people being killed in the first encounter. But now, after all of this... The number of the slain, it's just too great to be counted. Many women and children had also been killed, along with those in the Nephite army, and the Amilicite's bodies were cast into the river Sidon. There were just so many. Also, what was devastating to the Nephites was the trampling of their fields of grain by the armies, by the Lamanite and Amilicite armies. The grain that is the sustenance to keep the living living, that was destroyed. So number four, what we can learn here is that 
we aren't necessarily going to be exempt from the grief and the despair that some can bring upon a nation. It becomes a collective cry and a collective price to pay. And the Nephites experienced some suffering because of this. However, compared to their enemies, the Amilicites, the Nephites were further along the path of recovery and they found themselves in the good hands of God. The Amilicites' leader was killed, but they still remained in open rebellion against God and the Nephites and desiring to be distinguished from their once held beliefs and associations, they had marked themselves with red in their foreheads. After the manner of the Lamanites, they didn't shave their heads or wear next to nothing like the Lamanites, but they did distinguish themselves with red upon their foreheads. Now, there are two nuggets of wisdom that Mormon gives us. We capture it in chapter three. The first one is in verse 19, and the second one is in verse 27. Mormon counsels us that every man that is cursed brings upon himself his own condemnation. And we'll talk about the cursing in a second. But the second one is, Every man receiveth wages from whom he listeth to obey. Let me read that one again. Every man receiveth wages of him whom he listeth to obey. So I ask you, whose voice are you listening to? Is it a soft voice or is it a loud voice? Is it a voice of tenderness or a voice of harshness? Is it a voice of compassion or a voice of hate? Does this voice believe in you? Or does it tell you about your shortcomings? Does this voice empower you or does it tell you that you need it to take care of you? Does this voice raise you up or does it keep you down? Does this voice urge you to forgive Or does it command you to take revenge? Whose voice are you listening to? The voice we listeth to obey is where we will receive our wages from. In Alma chapter 3, Mormon explains the difference between the Amilicites and the Lamanites. The fathers of the Lamanites, they're the ones that listened to the wrong voice. The mark that was set upon the Lamanites was set upon their fathers. Now, I don't know exactly what it means by the mark. There are some who believe it means their skin was darkened. I see evidence for that. But then there's a cry that this is racism. And I know in the past that it's been used to to purport that thinking, to move that thinking forward. Not me, though. There are some who believe that the mark meant that there was a light that went out in them and that the Nephites could tell. The darkness was the removal of God's light and influence over the Lamanites. And I see evidence for that. But then that would really be relying upon great discernment on the part of the Nephites. So here's the truth. I don't know what the mark means or what it meant. And I don't really care. Because in the Book of Mormon, I see no evidence ever that the Lord stopped loving these children of his And Alma 3 drives that home. The Lamanite mark was set upon their fathers. It was their curse for their transgressions and rebellions against Nephi, Jacob, Joseph, and Sam, who were holy men. 
And it was so the Nephite seed would not mix with the Lamanites. So they wouldn't be exposed to the incorrect traditions and be confused and be led down a path of destruction. And this is very similar to the counsel that the Lord gave the house of Israel, isn't it? And I believe that the Nephites were probably in more danger of destruction because of all the greatness that they had been given by God, all the truths, all the power and prophets that they had been given, the scriptures that they possessed in their midst. And if they mingled and then became deceived by falsehoods, I, I don't know if they could recover from that. Remember also, that the Lord was waiting for the Lamanites to repent of their wickedness and to turn to him. And he promised he would have mercy upon them. This entire book is the sign of that mercy, that that hope is still alive. But then there's the Amilicites who put the mark upon themselves, or so they thought. The Lord had actually told Nephi, and here we have the Lord's word being verified, that whoever will fight against your seed, the Lord will set a mark upon them as well. So the fifth truth we learn is that to rebel against the word of God and to transgress does have a spiritual effect upon us. And I don't know what that means exactly, But its truth must be accepted and not treated lightly, that there will be a mark, a spiritual mark upon us. Every man receiveth wages of him whom he listeth to obey. Sister Scriptorians, pay attention to the voice you are listening to and cast off any competing voices. If you remain obedient and cry mightily unto the Lord, he will strengthen you. If you desire to do his work in saving and preserving righteousness, he will call you. And though we may not be spared from the grief of this world, we can be certain that he will not abandon us in our times of troubles. Strength and him is the wage he desires to give you.